Welcome back to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by CityCo, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen with a very heavy cold, so I'll be barking like a sea lion throughout this. And I'm here at the People's History Museum in Manchester with Katie Ashton, the museum's director. We're going to explore the history of the museum, its social mission, and the importance of having a great cafe. Which is very full today, actually. It's, it's always that full. It is. We, yeah, it's a really lunchtime place busy. for many, many spinning fields people, yeah, isn't Yeah, definitely. It, yeah, busy lunchtime rush. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. The importance of cafes and toilets as well <laughs> in, in counting visitor numbers. Definitely. Um, starting at the beginning then, uh, what's, what's the history of the museum? How's it, how's it evolved over the years? Okay, so the People's History Museum's kind of history extends beyond Manchester. So originally it was a London-based organisation, 1960s. Um, the collection was formed um, and it had a home in Tower Hamlets at Limehouse Town Hall for a number of years. And at that time it was the National Museum of Labour History. Um, so it had a kind of pre-existence before it came up here to the northwest. And was that connected with the TUC, presumably? It, it was and it wasn't. It was a group of really passionate enthusiasts, really, who formed that collection. Who felt it was really important that the kind of collection of ordinary people, of working people, was, was kind of kept. Um, and it was a very... Um, there was a public exhibitions and, you know, an opportunity for people to see, but it was a relatively small offering. Um, and I think there was a funding issue, um, which meant that there was a bit of a crisis of the future of that collection. At that time, the TUC, along with um, Greater Manchester authorities and Manchester City Council kind of made a bid and a move to move it up to Manchester in the northwest. So it came up to Manchester in the late 1980s. Um, early 1990s, it opened at the 103 Princess Street, which is the home of the TUC. The first meeting of the TUC took place actually 150 years ago this year. So that was where the museum was in its early days. And then there was a real need for expansion, you know, popularity, um, exhibitions growing, kind of public engagement work. And so the building um, here, which is where we are today, the Pump House building, was kind of acquired for the museum. And that was in the kind of mid-90s exhibitions, learning, kind of public exhibitions and programmes started to happen over on this site, but also some of the existing team were still based at 103. So we kind of had two buildings simultaneously running in the 1990s um, with different activities happening at the two. The archive and conservation work stayed at Princess Street and the public kind of programme exhibitions happened over here. And then really, I think there was a, a real ambition from the museum team to, to do more and to be bigger and better and to have everybody on one site. And the programme um, kind of project was put in place to develop what we've now got as a museum with a capital project, which was opened in 2010, um, started in about 2007 in terms of the building work, but was obviously a longer development than that. So £12.5 million invested into the development of the museum. We restored the pump house and kept that building um, and made that into a flexible space. Um, and then we built an extension alongside it, which is more contemporary and new, which is the building most people now recognise with the museum, clad in court and steel, nice and rusty on the outside, um, clean and shiny on the inside. Um, and it's brilliant. You know, we've got a fantastic resource now. All of the staff team are based here. Um, all of our activity takes place here. We still have collections in store at Princess Street. So we still have a, a lease with the City Council to keep our kind of behind the scenes work happening down there. But everything else happens within this building. And we've kind of got the best of the old and the new now. Um, so that was 2010. It happens to also be the year that I started as director and came here just after that reopening. 
Um, and then since then, we've done you know lots of really imaginative, creative programming. We've had to respond to funding crises as everybody else. We've you know seen visitor numbers massively increase, which is great. Um, and lots of really, really exciting work um, happening over the last eight years and going forward into the future. So what was your background? Where did you come from? My background is museums. So I've always worked within the museum sector, but primarily within education. So a kind of education officer um, previously in different organisations. I've moved around the country quite a few times from York to Kent to Leeds to Nottingham to here. Um, so I've seen many cities of the, of the country, which has been really great. Um, so that's my kind of background and particularly my last role around citizenship, social justice, museums using their collections and buildings to inspire children and young people, but also adults. And I did a lot of work around crime prevention work in Nottingham. Was that Galleries of Justice? It was Galleries of Justice, um, yes. uh, So what attracted you to come here? I think when I came, um, I came for a visit and came a little around, I was really inspired and quite moved by the... So, sorry, was the build underway at that point or no, it had just it opened? it had just opened. So, yeah, so when I came, the museum had just reopened. It was the new exhibitions and the new building alongside the, the Pump House building. And I think I was really moved, quite found it quite an emotional experience to see the exhibits and the collections on display, the kind of story of how we got the right to vote in this country, how people have fought for what we have today and sometimes take for granted. Um, it's a very well-designed and beautiful museum and collection. Um, so I think we've done a really good job in, in interpreting that collection. Um, and just really kind of, yeah, the, I think for me, I've worked in lots of different museums throughout my career, and this one's the one that probably chimes the most with my own values and kind of connects with what I kind of believe personally. And I think that really helps when you're running an organisation to have that connection. So it was blown away, really. And it's not an organisation I'd... Been, I'd heard of, but I'd not been to before. So I, you know, will admit that I'd not visited the previous museum before the redevelopment. But really, have got got a sense from that visit um, and the interview that it was an organisation that I wanted to be part of. So nowadays, how's it funded? Um, what does your board consist of? Um, who's, who are the sort of stakeholders and interested parties? Yeah, so now it's funded by a mixture, as most cultural organisations, a mixture of different bits of funding. Our predominant kind of main funder has always been, since we moved to the northwest, AGMA, as was, Association of Greater Manchester Authorities, or still is, but um, that funding has just recently moved over to GMCA. So um, the Greater Manchester Authorities and the 10 kind of authorities that make up the region So are, Andy Burnham your boss absolutely yes so that's our main source of revenue funding at least that's a big chunk of the museum's um, current funding mix um, we're going to be an arts council mpo for the first time from april this year so arts council have become a revenue kind of funder for the organization but previously given project funding and then the rest of the money that comes into the organization regularly is a mixture really of, of lots of different things so we've got a trading company that is kind of responsible for all of our commercial activities so the shop the very busy cafe and the venue hire so we do a whole host of conferences events weddings parties dinners that um, income stream and then we do lots of fundraising so trust foundations heritage lottery fund we've got a supporters scheme where people can sponsor a radical hero and that's brought in a lot of kind of individuals who kind of the philanthropy side of giving which has been a new thing for us in the last few years and has been very successful and then we also charge for some of our services and we recommend donations so our learning program schools pay for the facilitated activities we charge for our conservation work so there's a whole mixture of kind of earned income as well that comes into the building so there's a real mixture but greater manchester is our our main client 
Act, um, sorry, our main kind of stakeholder, um, and lots of the bits and pieces around that. In terms of the governance of organisation, we are independent, so we're a registered charity. We're not affiliated with any particular organisation, so I've got a board of trustees and a chair. Our chair is currently Baroness John Royal, who is a member of the House of Lords, but also principal of Somerville College, Oxford University. And then the board's quite big. We've got a kind of large board for around 18 members, so it's quite a large board, but partly because it's split between here and London. So I'd say half of my board members are Northwest based and half of them are London based. So we've got that kind of mixture of being, we are a national organisation, our subject matter and our story is national, but we have a home here in Manchester. So that works quite well and we do a mixture of meetings both here and down in London. I think it's great. Having visited before the redevelopment where um, it was, it felt very much like an enthusiast's collection, I guess. Um, and some of us who come from a museum background actually quite like that about, yeah, about no, certain true. museums. True. Uh, but you can sort of see why the, the visitor numbers are not not necessarily low, but but there's probably limited by the presentation, and and even during that great capital boom that, that we had for about fifteen odd years, um, there aren't many museums that effectively went back and redesigned virtually all of their spaces at that time, and that's, that's a huge opportunity that they, that they had. Um, and so to come in at that point, and then okay, well, we can actually also put your stamp on that. Um, it must have been incredible. Yeah, it was a great time to start. I think it it was really interesting coming in at the end of a capital project. So I didn't influence the design and reinterpretation of the museum but I'm really pleased with what what was delivered it's it's excellent really high quality and actually it's held up really well eight years down the line but also in terms of I came in fresh ready to kind of take the organization to the next level at a time when the team were you know obviously quite tired and had been through a massive massive project so I think that I hope worked quite well I, I guess um, for everybody always else. A, there's always a risk that it's a bit of an anticlimax the day after the opening party and people then sit there and go oh well we've done it all now but actually for a museum it's life blood is, blood is education and working with people that's when you've got to have that energy isn't it absolutely and change is a constant it's it's not something that you do once and then it's it's done. So we're constantly changing and developing and um, reinventing ourselves in some in some ways. So it was a really great opportunity. And I think actually with what then happened in 2010 with a change of government and changes to our funding streams, it was really important that we had this new physical building and the spaces and the resource that we had. Although we were delivering a bigger offer with this effectively smaller budget, I think we would be in a very different position if we were the old museum in today's world. Yeah, I think definitely. How's, how's the collection evolved over the years? The collection continues to develop. So we inherited the collection that came up from London. That was the kind of core of the collection. But it's been made up of lots of different donations over the t over time. Some loans from certain organisations and departments and then lots of individuals that, that give us material. And I think what we've done in the last few years has been much more strategic and proactive about our collection. So we've often been offered um, different material and people do turn up at the front desk with a box of um, things that they brought from home and we know leaflets and badges yeah exactly and it's, it's trying to make those decisions about what should and shouldn't come into the collection and, and obviously the collection gets bigger and bigger that's a resource implication of looking after it properly so we need to manage that and we've got an acquisitions panel now which is a group of staff and a couple of external voices that look at all kind of proposals to be added to the collection and it's it's assessed by that group and actually meeting this afternoon with a number of really key items on that agenda um, but what we've been Sorry, I'm, I'm quite interested in that because I, my first interaction with uh, the museum was when I was at the Royal Armouries and, and we decided to display some of the Greenham Common. I was mm. employed originally as peace officer, which didn't go down very well in the Daily Mail. <laughs> um, and we decided to, uh, to display some of the Greenham Common tapestries. 
um, and which are beautiful pieces of work. And so I could see absolutely why you would mm. you would collect those as, as a museum, a really important part of history. Um, but I guess because this is the people's history, that ephemera thing, leaflets, yeah. fanzines, badges, whatever, that's really, really important as well. And it's quite, it must be quite hard to decide what is actually of historic value you know thinking of the great badges of the 80s protests and yeah. you know anti-nuclear stuff you could sort of tell at the time that those were going to be quite important but there's an awful lot of other things that maybe only 15 20 years later you realize actually that was very important at the time yeah definitely i, th- I mean badges is a good example we've got a huge collection of badges i mean luckily they're all very small so you can collect lots of them um it's not like collecting you know industrial machinery it's it's a bit easier so that is an area that we we do collect and yeah, archive material, um, leaflets, pamphlets, all do come our way. And I think the challenge for us now is that activism and campaigning, I suppose has always been this way, but some of the things we've collected recently kind of really chime that, for example, somebody will make a placard the night before a march in Manchester and then it'll be discarded on the street because they don't have any use for it anymore. But that is part of our history of politics and protest that is important for some of that to be, not all of it, but for some of it to be captured so that we reflect that for the future. So it is a difficult challenge. I mean, we've got we've got a policy in place and we kind of, you know, hold ourselves to account in terms of the procedure side of things. But it's also, I think, going to get more challenging for us to keep collecting things that, are quite handmade or not built to last or things that are ephemeral and kind of will come and go also one of our big challenges around the future of the collection is digital material because a lot of activism happens online a lot of kind of social media activity or you know things that just you know don't have a physical presence and how do we collect those as an organization how does that become part of our story for the future that's an area for us and the next four years within the the new business plan that we've got that is one of our areas for development is kind of digital collections and what does that mean and how do we respond to that and also trying to keep the collection alive so collecting contemporary material and, and we use our program to feed into that really so last year we did a lot of work around lgbt rights for the 50th anniversary of the sexual offenses act and we use that as an opportunity to really kind of promote the fact that we were a space for collections around lgbt activism and different groups and organizations and individuals gave us material so again we'll be doing the same this year um for 2018 and kind of are you you though i mean because you're you're people's history museum are you also in the position though where you need to i mean as most other museums do raise large amounts of money for single one-off purchases or or is it not that sort of area we we have i mean we have recently made a purchase which was is not something we do a huge amount of. I mean, we're fortunate at the moment to have a Heritage Lottery Fund project, which is money for acquisitions into the collection. That's partnership with the Working Class Movement Library. So we recently acquired a suffragette banner, which was um, you know, made in Manchester and from Manchester is going to be a key part of our programme for this year. Um, and that was a purchase made with support from the Heritage Lottery and with v Purchase Fund. Um, because we don't normally have large amounts of money to make kind of big purchases. And actually, a lot of the material that we've got here... It's not individually worth lots of money, but collectively it's the story it tells and obviously has a financial value. But we're not, yeah, we're not kind of buying arts, works of art and, you know, some of the things that other museums and galleries may be acquiring. But it is something we're looking at at the moment. We've got this project, which I think has got another year or two to run, um, of acquiring specific things for the collection where we've identified there are gaps. Um, I, I do have to ask, did, did you have a secret... Um 
a secret thrill when Mr. Trump was elected because knowing that there'll be so much protest, there'll be so much good stuff coming out as a result. There has been some great stuff. If everything's you know. nice, then you don't you don't actually get any new stuff, do you? That's or to true. Get yeah, no, that's true. I mean, when politics gets interesting, then yeah, the, the subject matter does get really um, great in that respect. And we've got actually an exhibition at the moment called Savage Inc., which is cartoons and caricatures um, all around political issues. And, and Trump is featured within that in a brilliant way. So um, yeah, that does, that does help on a professional level on a personal That's level on a personal level so much maybe different um so what, what are visitor numbers like now and, and and sort of what are your demographics who visits our visitor numbers have i'd say in the last few years they've kind of plateaued a bit so they've become fairly consistent around the hundred thousand mark so we're not we're not huge in terms of our kind of reach at the moment i think before we did the capital redevelopment it was a quarter of that so we've massively grown with the investment into the building and the profile kind of that gave us but we've still got a relatively modest visitor audience compared to other museums and galleries in the city demographics wise i'd say we're fairly consistent with other museums and galleries in the city there's not a great significant difference but the big thing that we find is that a lot of our visitors are still coming for the first time so we're still attracting new audiences which is great more so than other museums and galleries in the city but we're not seeing people come back as much so our repeat audience of people coming to the museum and then coming back again I think there's sometimes a feeling that they've done it and they've been and they've seen and wouldn't necessarily come back in the same way that you might take your family to Manchester Museum you know on a more regular basis so that's an area for us to develop um, diversity is is not too bad we get a real mixture of um, people from different backgrounds but we do again need to kind of boost that it's not representative of the greater Manchester um, population and we've just done some research into kind of where our opportunities lie to kind of target more specific groups for specific programs and also the kind of reach that we can have within a 45 minute kind of drive time there's a huge amount of the museum to tap into and I think some of that's around profile and position kind of people understanding actually what the People History Museum is about, using our programme to reach out to different people. And definitely what we found in the last year is working in partnership with other organisations helps us to talk to people that we wouldn't necessarily, you know, normally reach. So that's been a big success of the last year. And I've seen our visitor numbers kind of increase on the year before, which is good. Um, we need to keep that going for the next few years. I'm, I'm in search of the sort of the repeat visitors and people keep, keep on coming back. Um, most museums are, are reliant, I guess, on temporary exhibitions mm. as a driver is, is that one of your main focuses it is on using the program i think the program and the exhibitions do do that because they give you something new to kind of get people to come back but i think even with that in place what we're not doing as well as we could do is capture people while they're in the building and make sure that we've got access to them so data is a really big area within appropriate kind of means of making people aware that they can keep connected with the museum we're not, all existing on the gdpr not, uh, absolutely the we are if i get one more email about gdpr um it's the it's the buzzword or the buzz acronym of the day um so absolutely kind of getting people once they hear they love it and once they hear they become absolute advocates for the organization but we need to then be able to continue to talk to them about what else is coming up and get them to re kind of visit and re-engage with the next program so um the exhibitions is you know is definitely part of that i think in our research in the past though we found people will enjoy that exhibition once they get here but it's not necessarily the thing that brings them to our door I guess one of the one of the things for a lot of museums, I mean, I think this is true of Manchester Museum, and talked about it on the um, Science and Industry podcast, is they've been around long enough that you actually have generations of people. So you you almost as a parent, you'll bring your children because you remember taking a school visit, and that ta that takes a very long time. Of course, it helps if you've got a dinosaur, it helps if you've got robots and things. But um, 
So talk us through the education work that you do. Is, is, there, is there stuff here, but is there also outreach into schools? There is, yeah. We do a bit of both um, kind of delivery here on site and then we go out and do different work in schools and community um, venues. So today, for example, we've got a group in who are doing a creative writing project and using the collections for inspiration and also kind of exploring the museum at the same time. So there's a real variety of um, learning programmes from under fives all the way up to university students and beyond. Adult education has become a kind of bigger thing for us recently. We've got a partnership with the Workers' Educational Association to deliver regular programmes for for adults. So that happens in the building. And really what we try and do with our schools and broader learning programme is use kind of visual arts, performing arts as a way to tap into some quite complicated topics sometimes around democracy, politics, voting. Um, So that kind of varies depending on the age group. But we do well. It's around 20,000 children, young people come through that programme. So it is about a fifth of our audience. It's a good good chunk of the work that we do on a day-to-day basis is is around learning and, and that delivery. So that's, yeah, growing and developing. And what we're trying to do again with that is link it more closely to the programme each year. So if we're doing a particular theme... We really think about children and young people and our learning provision as part of that development. Um, and we're doing some targeted work this year with particular groups, working with A School in Rochdale and working with the Manchester People Referral Unit as well to develop resources and kind of develop um, more of a partnership approach and more of a kind of way of getting them involved from the beginning and letting them help us to shape the programme. Um, so that's yeah, it's it's a good good kind of significant part of the work that we do. It's an interesting one that you were saying about um, sort of getting local people or people from within Manchester to to come in because that's certainly something that we found quite difficult at Urbis. But even with the content that that we were doing around popular culture, um, to actually get people from you know ten minutes. Walk, in, walk away, there just wasn't uh, uh, an assumption that going to a museum or even going into the city centre in some cases was something that you do. And I mean, what can be done to, be, to, to challenge that and to, to get people to, to come in to actually see things that are about popular culture and everyday life and actually really quite important issues? I think I suppose not to make them boring. I guess. Yeah, I think, it, and, it, and for some people, it's just not part of their experience. It's not you were saying earlier about how it becomes a generational thing of parents taking their children and grandparents taking their grandchildren to places like the Manchester Museum or the Science Museum. Um, you know, it becomes part of just you know your family's um, pattern I think you know for some that's not the norm so you know engaging with museums isn't something that comes naturally and I think we've got a responsibility to probably take our museums out of the buildings I think there can be a bit of a barrier to coming into a building particularly in the city centre and we've got a responsibility to Greater Manchester in terms of delivering to all 10 districts and residents so if you're talking about somebody who lives in the outskirts of Wigan or lives in Rochdale they equally have got that opportunity to engage with the work we do so outreach is really important I think partnerships and working with other organisations who have those connections with those communities and those areas is a much more natural way of of connecting rather than just expecting people to come to you so we do quite a lot of that work and I think working with other people is a strength of our organisation and something we're trying to build much more into how we think about all of the work we do, not doing it in isolation. But it is a challenge and I think we still find, even with all of the engagement work that we do and all of the kind of, and not just us, all cultural organisations, that we're still 
welcoming a certain type of audience and you know the art gallery museum going visiting public is is fairly consistent across different sites and actually there's a huge amount of the population and local residents who would massively benefit from taking part and there's something to offer but they're not necessarily just going to turn up on your doorstep so it's a sort of long-term strategy that you have to take to yeah. get people used to engaging um is there i mean you were talking about the need to um appeal as much to somebody from as far away in Wigan as is it possible to be and stay in Greater Manchester as somebody in the city centre. I guess that's part of being funded by the G- GMCA. Is, is that is. is that actually something that's explicitly stated by them as a, as a need? Yeah, it is, definitely. We've got, um, obviously, funding from Greater Manchester, so our responsibility is to deliver across all 10 districts and for people from those districts to participate in our work. Now, one way we can do that really well is through the learning programme. So we work a lot with schools in all of the 10 districts, but we also want you know the visiting public to come and we want to represent them within our collections and our exhibitions. So that is an explicit part of our funding. But equally, there's a number of elements. There's one around delivering to local residents, but there's also something around raising the profile and the economic kind of impact of the region as well. And with that comes tourism and people coming from out of the side of the city. So our, we do fairly well. I'd say 50% of our audience in recent years has been local, Greater Manchester. 30% has been kind of national, slightly further afield. And then we get about 20% of our visitors um, from international audiences, which as a percentage is quite high. It's quite a big chunk. And I think our museum is quite different and not necessarily something that you'd find elsewhere. So we do welcome quite a good mix of, of visitors from other countries um yeah i think 20 percent is actually is, is really high unless you're you're talking about some of the big london museums um, yeah no, is that growing because i mean we see, certainly seeing the international customers in the city generally growing as a, a percentage i'm not sure if it's growing i mean the last time we did a kind of assessment of the visit numbers that's kind of the percentage it was that's probably a couple of years ago now so we'd need to to relook at it i mean the feeling is that you tend to see a lot of as you go around the museum you tend to see either groups of international visitors or you know people who are independently visiting the city or in the uk so i think we do we do well in that respect and the feedback that we often get is particularly from countries that have developing democracies or you know come from places that are a little bit more politically um difficult than than the uk although we have our own difficulties um is that it's really inspiring for them to see that story of democracy and the vote and the you know the kind of ability of people to campaign and fight and um, protest things that they believe in so we get some really really high quality feedback from those those visitors as well which is really nice um I mean, how important is it? I mean, you didn't you started in London, but how important is it to be based in Manchester? And how tied are you into the Manchester story? Because we don't have a Manchester museum that tells the Manchester story, do we? No, I think obviously I wasn't around at the time, but I think whether by accident or design, I think the fact that the museum ended up in the northwest in Manchester is absolutely perfect. It's the the right place for us to be if we're not, you know, if it's not a London-based organisation. I think the kind of radical history of the city and the amount of development and change if the pankers to you know the unions i think there's a huge amount of local context which is absolutely relevant to what we're about and if i couldn't you know imagine a better city but also in terms of the cities i mean i started off saying i've worked in a lot of different places and actually manchester's the one that i feel absolutely embraces the importance of arts and culture um at Greater Manchester level and at a kind of local authority level, I think leadership of the city and the region get it more so than other cities I've worked in anyway. So I think that's really important to us and we are part of the mix. I think I had this conversation last week about 
Manchester not having that central museum about the city and whether that's a a positive or a negative and I think actually having lots of different organizations that tell different bits of the story and not having one central museum service in the city although we've obviously got strong kind of offer from both the city council and the university is what makes Manchester different and actually it makes us more collaborative and it makes us all work together we've all got different governance structures we're all different types of organization but we work incredibly well together and I think that feels very Manchester. Yeah, I think my feel. I've had a number of conversations, particularly with Jonathan Schofield, around this um, that have got a bit heated. Um, <laughs> I, I think my, my feel always about the idea of a Manchester history museum is you then start to um, put in place one particular narrative because you, you've almost got to you've got to, you've got to tell that historical structure. Whereas, whereas when you've got bits of the history in MMSI, you've got bits of the history in Manchester Museum, in Whitworth as well, and and obviously here, you've got different layers and different approaches to it. And there are lots of other additions that come in. You know, the Manchester Music Archive and so on, which which comes out for yeah. different collections, and and that actually does feel like a more of a the way that you would approach a city because to try and get a city that okay we're starting in the year zero with mancumium and then coming up to now doesn't it doesn't actually reflect all those different prisms that you need to look through to see a city's history and progress no i agree i think the challenge for us is for an audience whether that's local residents or visitors to the city of signposting them so that they can access some of that story so that they can see the different facets and they can maybe visit one or two or three venues as part of a, a visit or part of their experience of the city then gives them that picture but in terms of yeah the how how it represents Manchester I I think there's a lot of wealth and breadth in, in what we have be it from you know football or the football museum through to science and technology at MSI there's you know there's a real breadth of different stories to be told which is good yeah I think the one the thing that we do, we're not very good at actually is, is probably um, marking the streetscape um, we, we certainly at CityCo we did a, uh, a booklet mentioning Mr Schofield that, that he wrote for us on, on the history of um, King Street and St Anne's last year um, that went I think we out of copies within about a week um, and, I, and I think there's a real desire to understand some of the histories that, mm. that happened in and around the city centre but in other areas as well there's a lovely book and we will be talking to the author soon about um, about Red Bank and Angel Meadow and um, the, the histories of the, the white and Irish working class yeah. there in the Victorian era and the, the level of poverty in that area is not something that even now walking through it you have any un mm. understanding for at all um, and I don't think we mark that particularly well but the friends of Angel Meadow have done a, a good job on Angel Meadow itself but, and I think that, that would be nice so I think yeah. to see more of it happens. and maybe that's the bit that's, that is missing because none of us as, as institutions necessarily tell that story in detail or in a way that's kind of site specific so that people can access that in the city as opposed to in a cultural venue so yeah I agree I think there's a there's lots that, that could be done I mean next year it's a bicentenary of the Peterloo Massacre um, in 2019 and that is an opportunity in a particular context of that event to to do some of that work in Manchester because it happened in Manchester but um yeah no I think that's that sounds really great um do you regard yourself as what do you regard the museum as having a social purpose definitely yeah I think we are we talked about this when we did an exhibition around the general election you know we're pro-democracy we're pro-voting we're we want people to come away from the organization and want to do something um what that may be and who they vote for is is not our business particularly but it is around engaging people and getting them actively involved in the world that they live in so i'd say yes it's it 
is a waste if we don't use that radical past to inform the future. Um, and it's how you do that in an appropriate way and how you do that within the kind of, um, I suppose within what you have to offer that's different. So as a museum, we have a collection, other organisations don't. So it's how we use that to inspire people and how we use it to kind of engage people in different um, subjects. And then finally, what's next for the museum? What are the big projects coming up? Um, the big we've, got, we've got two years of massive history. We have, we? yeah. No, it's um, a big kind of anniversary time at the moment. I keep having to think that we don't have to have every programme around a key anniversary, but there are lots of them at the moment. So this year we're doing a big programme, Represent Voices 100 Years On, which is partly an exhibition, but broader than that. So our exhibition starts later in the year, but that really is about the 100th anniversary of the representation of the people at some women getting the vote for the first time and all working class men. But we've opened that up to be a bit broader around the theme of representation more generally so it is about getting the right to vote but it's also about whether people have a voice and trying to bring diverse voices into the museum so the exhibition that we'll be doing later this year is a kind of zine approach of different narratives and different stories all pulled together within within a space so that's going to be really interesting and lots of partnership work associated with that um, next year is the bicentenary of the Peterly Massacre which I've mentioned so we'll be having a big programme around that we're part of the kind of greater Manchester work with Manchester Histories as a partner to think about what the whole city and what the whole region does to commemorate that and not just ourselves. So we'll be doing specific work here. And we're focusing quite a lot on children and young people um, with that and learning being our focus. But there's lots of other things happening um, with Manchester Histories in 2019. I think for us as an organisation, in terms of our priorities and focus, it is about that reach and the audiences and engaging different people and more people with the work we do. I think what we do here is is excellent, really high quality. The team are incredibly creative and passionate and they do some excellent work, but I still, still feel not enough people know about what we do. And not just about numbers and bums on seats, but about a real kind of reach out into Greater Manchester and further afield and getting people to have a real connection with the organisation. So they do keep coming back and they do engage with us on a, on a more regular basis. So that's our kind of big focus. And we'll also be exploring digital, um, mentioned it earlier, around collections, but also how do we use digital more kind of strategically and collect, connect it better with the programme that we have here. And as always, there's an ongoing fundraising and, you know, making sure we can keep going and we've got the money to deliver all the work that we do. And we're in a good financial position with our kind of main funders. But there's always work to be done to bring in additional money. And the more resource we have, the, the more work we can do. So, yeah, it's an exciting time, particularly becoming an Arts Council MPO is going to have a big impact, I think, on our confidence and our ability to take what we've already been doing, which is brilliant, and to take it to the next level in the next four years. Yeah, it's an interesting change for the Arts Council as well, getting, getting involved directly. Yeah. Um, there's quite a change for them. I'm, I'm quite interested in the, the digital work that you're, talk, that you're talking about, because obviously there, there have been, and I'm sure that Museums Association conferences have talked about it in, in great detail, you know, when, when people can sort of almost archive their entire lives on online, um, what's the purpose of a museum and where do objects fit in and, and, mm. and all that sort of stuff. So have you, have you got some thoughts about how that's going to evolve and how you collect so much in modern protest movements is... is purely through social media isn't it yeah i mean we've done a whole piece of work around thinking about digital i think our challenge now is to put it into practice so we've got a new kind of plan and policy and all of the kind of back of house stuff we're starting to work on now i think there's a number of things for 
Um, digital collecting is a whole challenge and just in terms of the technology of it not I mean there is a kind of um, philosophical question as well and a kind of idea of you know what do you collect and and why but I think the how is probably what we need to start with because actually the the systems to do is what we're going to need to get sorted Um, so that's on the agenda I think in terms of I think museums and digital has always had that thing we don't want to you know if you make your website too good then nobody will bother coming to the museum and I just don't think that's true I also think there's a real place for museums to be spaces where we use digital technology appropriately, but also we allow people to switch off because we're constantly all engaged and connected to technology all the time. And actually, there's something about the real and engaging with other people. And what we do really well here is allow people to discuss and debate and talk to each other. And I think that's really important in an age where we're all glued to our mobile phones and our iPads and laptops and things. So I think there's a real balance for the sector in getting that right. But I, And I think we struggle sometimes to keep up with the pace of technology, um, particularly in a smaller organisation without kind of huge resource to put behind it. So there's a lot of things for us to explore, but I think there's some massive opportunities um, to engage people around collecting and also to do what we do in the building, which is allow different voices and different opinions, is how can we replicate that through digital technology? Um, And how do we kind of engage people in a bit more of a debate? Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks to Katie. We'll be talking to other cultural venues in the near future and also uh, doing an interview with the Chief Exec of Manchester Histories Festival, which will be more conversations around Peterloo, suffragettes, the end of the First World War, and presumably also the 150th anniversary of the TUC as well. Um, we're also going to do another recording, uh, which will come out a few we- in a few weeks, which is uh, adding to our little collection of favourite pieces, um, which has gone down very well. And if you have any further thoughts about uh, people you might want interviewed around that or around any other subject, you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR, preferably in 140 characters or less. Cottonmouth Manchester is available on iTunes, Acast and SoundCloud, or direct from citycocom slash podcasts. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>